a topic about strengthening yourself in the Lord. And we're going to read that passage again out of 1 Samuel chapter 30. Only I'm not going to read the whole story. Most of you were here this morning. I'm just going to read probably verse 1 through 1 through 6. 1 Samuel 30, 1 through 6, about strengthening yourself in the Lord. And I talked a little bit about how there's a point in every person's life when they don't know what to do, where to turn, where to go, but it just seems like everything is crashing in. And there's moments in times when we feel betrayed, when we feel like uh, people have turned on us, and every last person, there's nowhere to go, there's nowhere to run. And people's natural tendencies are to run to people that are close to them, to pour out uh, their heart or to receive help from them. But even when every door has been closed, and it just seems like not only closed, but you've been rejected or become the object of scorn to them. What do you do? What happens when everything, in fact, as we go through, um, let's just go ahead and read the passage. It says, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because of the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God, in the Lord his God. And we talked about this morning where it says that the men's hearts were grieved. But a better translation for that is bitter, that they became bitter. You know, when everything that you have had is taken away from you, then there's a a bitterness, a, a seed of bitterness that can rise up, a root of bitterness that can rise up in a person's heart. And they're naturally going to want to blame somebody for what has happened. And so the men, after they're done weeping, after they're, they're done pouring themselves out because they're, they're in great distress, they're in a place of, of crying out for their loss, obviously. It's a, it's a hard moment to face. And they, they're looking at it going, we have nothing. Our children, our wives have been taken. Our houses have been burned. We have nothing. And they're, they're looking at this, they're crying out, and then finally they start talking, as people do, right? They start talking, well, you know, we wouldn't be in this situation. 
If it wouldn't have been for David, it was, this was all David's idea. You know, David was the one that, that wanted to, to, you know, help out this king, and, and then they didn't even want it. If we would have been here instead of out on the battlefield, if we would have been here keeping watch over our families, then this wouldn't have happened. You know, all of these things, yeah, I agree, and, you know, it's, it's David's fault. You know, we, we should have stayed back in these little seeds, and all of a sudden the hearts begin to turn. The same thing happened with Moses. The people were ready to stone Moses. They were ready to, to go back to Egypt. You know, time and time again, when a, when a, hop, a hopeless situation comes up, it is very easy for people's hearts to turn, to turn on their leader, to turn on someone that is easy to cast the blame on. And so David finds himself in this situation. And it says he was greatly distressed. And this greatly distressed means that he's restricted. He's in a tight place. He can't turn to the left or to the right. He's, he's in, a, in a place where it doesn't matter which way he turns. There's not an answer. Like, what are, there's nothing that I can do, nothing I can say to make these men uh, feel better about what's going on. There's nothing I can say to myself to, to make me feel better about the situation of losing my two wives and my children. This is a very difficult, hopeless situation. And so it goes, in, but it says that he strengthened himself in the Lord. And we talked a little bit how there was nobody in his life, really, to speak into his life at this point. Before he had Jonathan. Before he had uh, uh, Abigail had spoken to his life. Before he had the men that traveled with him. They were there for him. But now he's got no one. Because even the men had turned against him. And he finds himself alone. And not only have they, have they turned on him, but they're ready to kill him. There's a vengeance in their heart. There's a bitterness in their heart. And so he finds himself alone. And it, it just has this one statement. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. What does that mean? Because in this moment, there's a shift that happens. In this moment, when God sees David standing to this test and getting ready to overcome, even though it doesn't feel like an overcoming situation, but his choice to overcome is in this key of strengthening himself in the Lord. And these are things that we must do as individuals in our own life when we're faced with a difficult situation when it feels like everything has just fallen apart. It's hopeless and I don't know which way to turn. So what are those things? Well, we don't know exactly what he did or said, but we can, we can tell through Psalms and we can tell through uh, his life the things that he did as patterns in his life that he would have taken into place. Because you got to remember, he spent many years out in the pasture with the sheep, writing songs unto the Lord and singing to him and, and praying to him and worshiping him. So what are the things to strengthen yourself in the Lord? Many of these you're not going to be surprised at, I'm sure. But there are four that I'm going to go over tonight. And the first one, the first one is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Or you can even put gratefulness. Gratefulness. Obviously, that doesn't sound like a surprise, but I'm telling you what, when you get into a situation where you're depressed and you, you feel like, I don't even want to get out of bed. 
I don't even want to move. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm just going to stay home. I'm going to isolate myself. I don't want to be around anybody. I don't see a way out of this. I don't know what to do. Then thankfulness is the last thing <laughs> that's on your mind. But it's the first thing we got to do. Thankfulness. Much of the Psalms, which David wrote a good portion of the Psalms, and much of the Psalms is gratefulness, thankfulness unto the Lord. And these are choices that we have to make. These are, to be thankful is a choice, right? We have a choice to say thank you. We have a choice to, to give acknowledgement back to the person that, that gave us something. And even in this situation, sometimes we want to begin to call out everything that God didn't do or everything that's going wrong. But he says this is not the formula to breakthrough. The formula to breakthrough is to begin to step into thankfulness and to begin to look back at the things that God has already done and begin to thank him for those things, not only in the past, but in the present and in the future. Some things you don't even see yet, but you thank him for. You begin to thank, thankfulness needs to rise up in your heart, and you begin to thank him for the things that you haven't even seen come to pass yet. But if you can't start there, then start with what he's already done. You start with where you can, and you begin to thank him, and you begin to, to have a gratefulness about you for the things that he has given. And I thought of, I thought of a kind of a scenario, and I thought, you know, we all give gifts at Christmas, and, and you know, you give gifts to your children, and you're, you're excited about seeing them open those gifts, right? And you're like, I hope they like it as much as I think they're going to, you know. And it would be crazy to, on Christmas morning, to give gifts after you've, you know, went and you've shopped, and you thought, well, this one would really like this. And this one, they've been asking for this for like eight months. They're going to be really excited. And this one would love to have this. And, and you're excited because you put time into it. And you've put some thought into what you're going to give them. And they begin to, you know, one by one go get their, their gifts under the tree. But you find that let's say one takes their gift and they sit down and they unwrap it. And then they begin to thank somebody else for the gift it was actually from you, but they're thanking their brother and sister for the gift, and it wasn't from them. Or what's worse, what if they thank themselves? Yeah, I decided to get me this gift. I thought it would look good on me, so I got me this. And I know that sounds crazy in the natural, but how many times do we have gifts and we begin to boast about the gift that we have and how we're going to use it for our own benefit in life? Yeah, I'm really, I, I can do this, I can do that. When in actuality, without God giving us that gift, we wouldn't have it at all. And then you go to another child, and they open their gift, and let's say it's a, a beautiful coat, and it's to keep them warm in the winter, and it looks nice. But what if they start mopping the floor with it? And they use their gift for something that soils it and ruins it. And you would look at that and go, how ungrateful. They, that's a coat. They know it's a coat. Why are they using it for that purpose? Why are they soiling it? Why are they making it dirty? 
But there's a lot of people that have been giving gifts, and they're not using it for the right purpose. They're not using it for the Lord's glory. You know, and sometimes it can be so obvious to everybody else. Going, they're so gifted in that area, but they don't use it for the Lord. They're so, I remember a, a girl one time. She had such a beautiful voice, but she never sung to God. It was always worldly things. And I thought, man, if she could get a hold of God and really what he's done for her and fall in love with him, man, what God would do through her. But she didn't understand that that gift she had was for him, not for herself. Sometimes people don't even get their gifts. They leave them under the tree. Well, I'm not worthy to have a gift this year. You know, I'm, I just, I don't, I don't feel like I deserve any gifts this year. I'm going to leave my gift under the tree. I don't even know what it is. I don't know. I'm just going to, I just, I'm not going to open it. Do you think that pleases the Lord? And what about those that unwrap it and then just leave it there on their lap? And they don't say a word. They just hold it. They never do anything with it, but they just hold it, and they never say thank you. Many of these things, or what about the one that receives the gift, and then they go hide it in the closet or in the garage? They've got the gift. It's like the guy with the talent, and he went and dug a hole because he was afraid, and he hid the gift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the gift was to be used, and it got hidden. They went and they hid it in the garage. They hid it in the closet. We have so much to be thankful for. There's so many things. That, and it's not just talents. There's gifts that we have. There's things that we have that, that sometimes we don't even give it a second thought. A hot shower. Not everybody in the world has a hot shower. Not everybody in the world has a roof over their head. Sometimes we got to get back to the basics and say, God, I thank you that you have given me a home. You've given me a family. You've given me so-and-so in my life. I know sometimes it can get difficult because sometimes people are dealing with children that have turned their back on them or they've walked away. They're in their own world and they haven't paid attention. And the parent can so easily say, God, I just feel deserted. But that parent has to find a place to start in their thankfulness, wherever it may be. We've got to find a place to start. Father, thank you for the friendship that I have in so-and-so. Thank you, Father, for the, the, the home that you've given me. Because an ungrateful child can't expect to get more if they're not being grateful. So thankfulness, in fact, what does it say? We enter into his gates with, with thankfulness. It's with thanks that we come into his gates. With thanks we come into his gates. But the thing is, that doesn't just stop there. That's just getting us in the gate. We must have a heart of thankfulness. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Thankfulness sets us apart. And when we thank him, think about it. When we sing songs about magnifying God, if you think about a magnifying glass, what does it do? It makes it bigger, right? When we begin to thank God for what he's done, it makes the things in, in him, and him bigger in our life than the situation that is around us. So it's the beginning step of beginning to see him bigger than the situation. So even the situation itself looks big. 
looks overwhelming. But we turn our eyes upon Jesus. We turn our eyes upon God and we begin to thank him. Father, I thank you for what you have given me. I thank you, Lord, for what you've given me in the present. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're giving me in the future. Hallelujah. It is a choice. It is a choice. So what's next? What's next? Well, if you come into his gates with thanksgiving, then you have to come into his, the next step is into his courts with praise. Into his courts with praise. Now, praise is a harder thing to come into. Because praise, it's easy to sit there and say, God, I thank you for this. I'm not saying it's easy. Because when you're, when you're at a very low point, it takes work to get to that place. It does. But what I am saying is praise is an even higher place. Because praise isn't just thanking, but praise is stepping into a believing, a believing. In Hebrews, when it talks about giving a sacrifice of praise, it's because it's a what? It's a sacrifice. That's why it says when you come into his courts with praise, it's a sacrifice of praise. Because in the courtyard is where the sacrifices happened. We no longer have to bring animals into the courtyard, right? We no longer have to bring animals in to be sacrificed upon the altar. But guess what gets sacrificed upon the altar? Us. Our feelings, our emotions, the things that, man, it's, it's just difficult to look outside of this situation right now. But you know what? I refuse. I refuse to let that consume me, Father. I thank you. And I move into a place of praise. You are worthy, Lord. You are great, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you have called me an overcomer, that nothing by any means shall harm me in Jesus' name. And you begin to declare the praises. You begin to declare what he has said over you. You begin to declare clear the things in your life that he is worthy of. He's worthy of our praise. Praise is a higher thing. It's like when we sing, that's why a lot of times it's easier for people to go into the slow songs because that's an that's more of a you know, I can just do the slow and I'll sing the slow. But to get into a place of praise with a, a joy and a hallelujah, and yes, I praise the Lord with shouts of praise, because what? It takes us out of our comfort zone. It takes us into a place of, well, I feel weird doing this because I really don't feel that happy. That's a sacrifice. That's a sacrifice. When you don't feel it, but you do it. When the situation around you isn't calling for a shout of joy. But you do it anyway. Turn to Psalms 27. I want you to see the scripture. Psalms 27. Five and six. (laughs) 
It says, for in time of trouble, and David wrote this, for in time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. He has enemies around him. But what is he doing? You're going to hide me, Lord. I thank you. You're going to hide me in your pavilion, in the secret place of your tabernacle. You're going to hide me, and you're going to set me on high. He's declaring something that he's not seeing yet, but he's saying this is what's going to happen because I know you. I know who you are, and I know my relationship with you, and I know that you love me. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, what? I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. What am I going to do? My enemies are all surrounding me. But I'm going to sacrifice with shouts of joy. He didn't feel like it. It's the last thing you feel like doing when the enemy's surrounding you. When you feel like that depression keeps coming in and that person keeps attacking your character and that job is becoming a pressure and you can't seem to fix the marriage and whatever else is going on and you're looking at that, you don't feel like saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Father, I give you all of myself. And what do you want from me, Lord? Because I'm willing to give it. It's a sacrifice of praise. Hallelujah. You are worthy, Lord. No matter what my situation, but you are worthy of all of my praise. You are wonderful, Lord. You are glorious, Lord. And you sacrifice with shouts of joy. Well, that feels weird. That feels hypocritical. But if I were to ask you, well, every morning when you get up, do you feel like you're a Christian every single morning? Do you feel like loving everybody? But do you know that you're supposed to love people? And do you know that you're supposed to act in, in such a manner that a Christian would be to act? And you would say, yeah. Or would you say, well, you know what? Since you don't feel like it, it would be hypocritical for you to love. I think you should just go ahead and be mean because that's how you're feeling. You don't want to be a hypocrite. Or since you're not really feeling Christian-like today, why don't you just go ahead and just act out on everything that you're feeling? If you feel grumpy, just be grumpy. If you feel like cussing somebody out, then just cuss them out. If you feel like cutting somebody off, cut them off. Would you say, don't go against that because that would be hypocritical? And you would say, no, right? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. If we know what we ought to do, then we should move into alignment with what we ought to do. So we tell ourselves what we ought to do, even though it feels like the, the hardest thing in the world at that moment. It truly does, because you know what? You're fighting against the spirit. 
How do you overcome that spirit? Then you do the opposite of what that spirit is wanting you to do. That spirit is wanting you to stay in a place of heaviness. That spirit is wanting you to stay in a place of despair. That spirit is wanting you to stay in a place of unbelief. Why? Because in the place of depression and anxiety and distress, you won't be able to walk in faith. You won't even be able to see it. So he's trying to keep you in the cave of depression, the cave of fog, the cave of not being able to see what can actually happen outside of this place. But in order to move outside of the place, you've got to begin to take the steps, which is thanksgiving and praise. The first two steps, thanksgiving and praise. We've got to agree We have to agree that place of sacrifice is a sacrificing of the flesh. It is a sacrifice to to give praise when we don't feel like it. But whenever we're sacrificing the flesh, and then what's the next thing? After the the altar of sacrifice, well, then there's the place of the water basin, and, and, and you're washing yourself. What are you doing? You're washing yourself with the water of the word. And so you're taking the word and you're renewing your mind and you're coming into agreement with the word of God because you have to come into agreement in order to go where? Into the holy place, which is the next place. And to go into the holy place, guess, what, guess what's there? It's your answer because it's the light. You have the, you have the, the light, the, the, the candlestick, You have the showbread, which is your strength. Your revelation is going to come from there. That's where your answer is going to come. But in order to get there, there is a sacrifice of praise and then a washing of the word and aligning yourself with the word. And then you can come into the place, the holy place, where your answer, your solution is at, where the revelation will happen the anointing, the oil. These these three things in the holy place, they're all there to help complete the calling, the vision, the answer to what God has given to us. But in order to get there, we have to kick out the enemy. And the enemy, first of all, can come through a spirit, but what it's trying to do is get your flesh to operate in accordance with that spirit. So the thing that we have to do is come into an agreement with the word of God. You heard me mention this morning that you can't have depression in the holy place. If you remember me mentioning about Aaron the high priest, and he lost his two sons because they brought strange fire into the holy place, and they were immediately consumed. They fell dead, and their cousins had to come and carry them off. And God told Aaron that he was not to grieve in the holy place because there's no sorrow allowed. There's no grief allowed in the presence of God. Now, what's interesting, what is that strange fire? Because what they were supposed to be offering, if you look at it in Scripture, that holy fire, that that fire that they were supposed to be bringing in was to come from the altar of sacrifice. Think about that. 
from the altar of sacrifice back here at the place of laying myself down and laying my life down and choosing not to uh, pull up the flesh and allow the flesh to be the strong man, but instead I'm laying that down and I'm coming into alignment with the word, no matter what the word says, and I renew myself in the word of God, and I call myself uh, the things that God tells me that I am, and I come into the holy place to get my answer, but if I come into the holy place with the wrong word, with strange fire, and with depression and anxiety and the things that God has not ordained, I'm not going to receive my answer. That strange fire, they didn't come and get it from the sacrifice. They made it themselves. That strange fire that they brought in was of their own, their own flesh. What they made, it wasn't from the altar a sacrifice. Man, that is, that's good. Repentance or that altar, that time of choosing God's ways over our own, it is the same way as repentance because repentance, it doesn't just mean to turn. And I know that's how it's preached many times. It doesn't just mean to turn, but it means to change your mind. Repentance means to change your mind, to change your thinking. So it's not just an act of, okay, well, I know I need to quit doing this, so I'm going to turn and go this way. It's, a, it's an operation of changing your thinking, too. Because if you don't change your thinking, you'll still keep going back to the old thing. you got to come into the understanding and the thinking, the right process of God's ways, his principles, his kingdom living. His kingdom living. What is the third one? Prophetic words and promises. Prophetic words and promises. Prophetic words and promises are like creative words or creation words. When God said and created the world. He spoke everything into existence, right? He created and formed the frames of the world. And he calls us to do the same thing in our world. The words that he has given to us, the promises that he gives in, to us in his word, these are creative words. And he deposits them into our life through the word of God and through a man of God or a woman of God, someone speaking into our life. Someone by the utterance of the Holy Spirit, not just, not just words that they come up with, not just words that they just are thinking of themselves. I'm talking about words by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that are spoken into your spirit. And there, there's a deposit that's being made right there. But at that point, it's up to us to choose to take that word and allow the creative process to begin. Now, that word could be a promise from the word of God that leaps out at us, that, or that we're reading it and we're like, yes, that's, that's my word. Man, I just, I got that. I got that. But it doesn't mean that the work is done. It means that the seed has been planted and the creative process needs to continue. 
So that means there's proclamations, there's declarations that have to be made. Why, why would God share with us a prophetic word or a promise if he could just do it over our life? If he could just speak that over our life and it be done, then why does he share it with us? Why does he give someone a word to speak to us? Because there's something that has to be done with it. It's not, it's not just enough for him to speak it and it, it's done. It has to be in operation. It has to begin to work. The Holy Spirit in us. Hold on, let me find, let me find a scripture. Hold on. Ephesians 3.20. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all, we can ask or think. We know that, right? He can do exceedingly, abundantly, all that we ask or think, higher than what we can even imagine. But, listen, according to the power that works in us, according to the power that is at work within us. So it's got to be working in us. We've got to be working it. It's not a matter of him just being able to do it. It's got to work in us. We've got to work. That's why it says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because there's a part that we have to play. So that creative word, that prophetic word that's given to you, you've got to agree with it. Amos 3.3. 3. How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? We have to come into agreement. How can two take a walk together unless they agree to do so? They've got to agree that they're going to go on a walk together. They've got to agree to come together and go in the same direction. If one takes a left or a right, then the other has to agree to do the same thing. Otherwise, they're going to be going in opposite directions. Let's take a walk. Okay, and one goes that way and one goes this way. That's not agreeing to walk together. So that would be like God saying one thing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with this word over here. I'm going to go with this principle over here. This idea here. But God says that we have to align ourselves with the word of God. We have to agree with it. So that means our mind has to come into agreement with it. If you already have God's prophetic word, if you already have his promises on the inside of you, and you come into agreement with it, that means you're going to begin to declare it out of your life. You're going to begin to speak it out of your life. You see... I was thinking this morning, I thought, you know, there's a lot of people that have an identity crisis. And it's not the, the midlife crisis at, at 50 or whatever that people talk about. I'm talking about an identity crisis with who they are in Christ. Because they don't know who they are in Christ. They don't know. Like I said, they don't know that they've been set free. Because if they know that they've been set free, they would act like they've been set free. So they can say, yes, I agree, but they don't look like they've been set free. 
Their face doesn't even look like they've been set free. But it's because the revelation hasn't happened yet. So there's got to be a meditation on his word that I have been set free. He has broken me out of bondage. Therefore, I got to begin to step in it. I got to begin to declare it. I got to begin to walk in it. I got to begin to declare the promises and the prophecies over my life. You know, how I was speaking this morning about how David, you know, everything's crashing and everything's upside down. Nothing is what had been prophesied by Samuel. Nothing. You're going to be king of Israel. It's not looking much like I'm a king right now. I'm running for my life. The king of Israel is after my life, and I'm living in the enemy's camp. They've turned against me. My men have turned against me, and everything is spiraling down. My wives have now been been taken captive, my children. Everything is out of control. And the only thing David probably had at that moment was a memory of a prophetic word from Samuel. A memory of Samuel coming and saying, is this all the sons you have, Jesse? Are there not any more? Oh, yeah, there's David out in the field. We'll call him in. We're not eating until you call him in. He calls him in, anoints him with oil, oil dripping on him anointed as the next king, and, you know, he probably was thinking, oh, you know, a couple weeks, I should be seeing something shift and turn and, you know, some major things beginning to take place. Ten years later, he's in (laughs) the enemy's camp. Ten years later, can you imagine what went wrong? God, did, did I do this right? Did I miss this a long time ago? What is going on? I'm doing everything that you told me to do. I am protecting the anointing on King Saul. I'm not trying to get vengeance. I'm trying to keep everything pure in my heart. I'm trying to do everything right. And nothing is working out. I can't even look at anything in my life where I I can look at and say, yes, right there, that definitely was a wrong turn. There are times we can get like that where it's like, "I I don't know where I missed it. But he had to come back to a moment of a prophetic word. That you will be king of Israel. And a moment when the oil is dripping off of him as a young boy. What does he do with that word? Father, I thank you. God, I thank you that you have anointed me. I don't look like a king now, but you have anointed me to be king. And you know what? It wasn't even kingship that David was was striving after. It wasn't a position, and that was why God chose him, because he wasn't trying to, to step into the position. God, you have anointed me. You love me, and I thank you that you protect me. You protect me from all of my enemies. Even when all the enemies surround me, I give you a shout of joy. I thank you that, God, my marriage will be saved, that my children shall be saved, that my children are walking in the ways of God. Father, I thank you that my health is 
I have divine health. I have healing running through my body because I have the DNA of Jesus Christ running through me. That the blood of Jesus covers me. The blood of Jesus was shed for every sickness, every disease, and I receive it in my body. That's declaring prophetic proclamations and promises. Thank you, Father, that my eyesight shall not grow dim. Thank you, Lord, that every organ in my body works to perfection. You might not feel it right now, but that's what you declare. Thank you, Father, that my children are walking the straight and narrow path, and they love you with all of their heart. You might not be seeing that right now, but that's what you declare. Why? Because you're working a creative word in your spirit. You're working a word that's been placed in you. You're thanking God, you're praising him, and you're working that word. You're working that word. Turn over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Before we move on to the last one. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 18. This is what Paul told Timothy, a young preacher that has begun his ministry, not begun his ministry, but he's been placed over a a, a very sizable congregation of people, and he's young. And Paul says this to him, 1 Timothy 118, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience. By them, by what? By the prophecies. By the prophetic words. By the prophecies that have been spoken over you. You will wage a good warfare. What does that mean? Well, that means that someone's probably, something's probably going to try to steal that prophecy from you. And you've got to use that prophecy that's been given to you. Paul said that prophecy was given to you to wage a good warfare. That prophecy was given to you to make war with. That, that word that was given to you, that was to go to battle with. You thought that it was a word for you to get all excited about, which it is. It's a, it's a visionary word, but it's also a word for you to fight battle with because there's an enemy that's trying to come to steal it. Because he sees the anointing and he sees things lining up in your life for you going in this direction. He's seeing, but that means that you're going to have to take that word and you're going to have to fight the battle. You're going to have to use that word in battle. That means that's ammo. That's your ammunition. You've got to use that ammunition. And what happens is the enemy tries to to get fear on people, tries to get depression, tries to get anxiety, and put that on them so that they won't feel like that word is true. Because if I can hold you down and make you believe that that word is so far gone, there is no way that that word's going to happen in your life. What do you think about David? There's no way you're going to be king. This is it. Your men are ready to stone you, let alone Saul. The word in your life 
is there for you to wage good warfare. One of the things that Jesus told the disciples, he said, what you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, right? What you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. And a lot of times we use this like this. I bind this such and such and I loose the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, da 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 And we'll, we'll do like praying over somebody. But here's the thing. We're all binding and loosening every day, and you probably don't know it. When you say, I'll never get a raise at this job, you are binding your financial situation. My marriage will never work. You're binding your marital situation. When you say, my marriage is a great marriage, then you're losing a blessing over your marriage. When you say, my children are so hard-headed, they're never going to serve the Lord. I just don't see them turning. I just don't, they're, you're binding their salvation. Just because we're not saying, well, I bind and I loose, doesn't mean that it's not happening. The words that you speak are words that have creative power, and they're going out. That's why you got to keep that prophetic word in your spirit, the words of, of the Bible, the words of the word of God, because it's by that you wage good warfare. That's what you do your battle with, not in the flesh and blood, not against the son or daughter, not against the husband and wife. You're waging it in the war room, in prayer, in time with the Lord, when oftentimes it, it's not even, it's not, that's why I said this morning that solutions, solutions are found through prayer. But the thing is, strengthening yourself in the Lord is found through these things, not through prayer. Because you can be on your knees going, God, just give, give me strength, give me strength, give me strength, give me strength. You could pray all day long, but I'm telling you that this is how you strengthen yourself. It's through thanksgiving, through praise, and then you begin to proclaim the promises and the prophetic words over your life. And what is the fourth one? Testimonies. Testimonies. Because testimonies, because we know that God is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. So what he has done for one, he will do for us. The testimonies that we hear even in today's time, these are testimonies that we can use. What we read in the word of God, they're testimonies that we can use. In fact, go to Psalms 119. Psalms 119. Verse 11. No, verse 111, sorry. 119 is... The longest book in the Bible. Psalms 119, 111. New King James Version says, Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever. They are the rejoicing of my heart. Another version says, I have inherited your testimonies forever. They are the joy of my heart. I have inherited your testimonies 
forever. That means when you got saved, when you received salvation, what did you inherit? Every miracle, every breakthrough, every word, every situation, every person that, it, uh, s- that someone experienced in the Bible, the situations that they faced, the, the, the impossible, and they overcame, you inherited those testimonies. That's your heritage. That's your heritage. So when you read it, you say, that's mine. That's my heritage. That's my inheritance. That's my portion. That's my lot. Because I have inherited. Guys, this isn't just words. This is life. So when you read that, you should be excited. Everything in here, that is my heritage. What's the problem? This is what happens. We read about Elijah and the ravens coming and and bringing him food. And we think, yeah, that happened to Elijah. But I don't know what I'm going to do in this situation. I lost my job and I just, I'm going (laughs) to. I understand it's stressful, but we have a choice to make. Do we say that is my heritage? Or do we go in stress mode? It's a challenge for each one of us. I'm not saying I'm exempt. I have to do the same thing. I have to choose the same walk. When something caves in, when it feels stressful, I have to choose the same route. I have to choose thankfulness. I have to choose praise. I have to choose the promises and the prophecies. And I have to choose the testimonies. When we read it, we have to read it and say, that's my inheritance. In fact, David said, you have made me wiser than my instructors because I have meditated on your testimonies. You've made me wiser than my instructors because I have meditated. See, that's the, that's the key. Meditated on your testimonies. Turn, turn back to uh, Psalm 78. Psalm 78. And I'll leave you with this tonight. Because here's the thing. A lot of times people like to, you know, <laughs> think about the whole, you know, Ancestry.com type thing, you know. Well, I got my records, and in my lineage... My great-great-aunt had this problem, and my, you know, my cousin so-and-so, they had this issue, and they, they ended up in the Western Insane Asylum back in 1946, and, and they're, like, quoting these things as their heritage. But I'm here to tell you the blood of Jesus Christ canceled out that heritage. That's no longer your heritage. Your heritage is the word of God. Let me, let me show you this in scripture. S- Psalm 78, verse 5, and it says, For he established, meaning God, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children. Make what known? The testimonies. That the generation to come might know them, 
the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may what set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. What's going on? He said, I'm setting a testimony. I'm establishing a testimony in your land. I'm establishing a testimony in Jacob. And your responsibility is to declare it and to declare it. And you declare it to your children. And you declare it to your children's children. And you make sure that they hear it time and time and time and time again. You tell them the stories. That's why it's important. Read the word of God to your children. Tell them over and over that they hear the word of God because you're establishing a testimony in their life. You're establishing the works of God in their life. And it says, verse 8, and may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Verse 9, the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. So what happened? They went into battle. They were armed with bows. Were they equipped? Yes. They were armed with bows. But they turned back on the day of battle because they forgot what he had done for their fathers. They did not keep the testimony established in their heart. They forgot the works. They forgot what God could do. They forgot how God had already time and time and time again saved his people. So they turned back on the day of battle, even though they had their bows, even though they had everything. God had given them everything they needed. He gave them their testimonies. They had it, but they turned back. Why? Because they couldn't see in faith. They were afraid. They were not established in the works of God. So when we read the works of God, we've got to read it as if that is my lot. That is my inheritance. That's, that is what God wants to do in my life. We've got to take it so seriously and, and make sure that we're personalize, personalizing it for ourselves, that he fed the ravens, or the ravens fed Elijah. God can feed me in any circumstance. Because we're, the, the world will come to that time. We've already seen it as it began to start in countries around the world, that if you don't do this, this, and this, and if you don't take, you know, this, this uh, vaccination, you don't do this, and you don't do that, and you don't show your papers, then you don't get to buy food. It's already started happening. They're, they're trying to shove it out there. They're trying to get it in place. There, there will come a time when everything in you has to depend upon the Lord and upon his word. That he can provide for me outside of the government. He can provide for me outside of my job. He can provide for me outside of my family members. He can provide for me even when I'm in a wilderness, the ravens will bring him. He is my provider. I shall not fear. I refuse to fear. I refuse to tremble. I refuse to see this as an impossible situation. I refuse to let fear grip my heart. I walk in faith and I walk with him as my provider. I keep my eyes on him. I keep my eyes on him. I'll leave with this. 
you know, there's many times when, because you may think, well, what testimonies or prophetic words? When the Lord is bringing something to your spirit, it's something for you to establish you, just like what I said. It's something to establish that in your spirit and in your heart. And when someone is giving you Okay, I'm not going to say everybody. When someone you trust that you know has, has the word of God, that they're speaking to you, because lots of people can speak into your life. As I told you this morning, David had a word spoken to him, but it wasn't right. David had a word, yeah, go ahead and kill him because, you know, God has given him, God has given Saul into your hand, and he has delivered him to you today. Just give me the word, and I'll, I'll slaughter him with one, one shot. Just plunge him into the ground. But it wasn't the right word. But when, when God has spoken a word into your spirit, and this happens sometimes when, when if somebody's praying for you or if, or if Pastor Brad's up here praying for you or another man or woman of God is praying for you or you're reading the word of God and something leaps out at the page and a promise comes into your spirit, Write that down. Record it. Because there may be times that you have to go back to that word. In fact, what happens many times when someone is, I'll just share personally, there are times if I'm praying for someone and there may be a scripture or a story that comes to my mind that, comes, that rises up in my spirit that I speak over that person. That same testimony out of the word of God is, is the anointing that's being released into their spirit if they understand what's going on. If they understand that this is what is being given to you for your word, for an anchor, for a, a destiny for you to cling to, to and to establish you. And that's why even, you know, if, if you're receiving a word... And if you have time to, to get your recorder out, to record it. There are many recordings that we have that we'll go back and listen to from years ago because we're still declaring certain things and we're still prophesying certain things. Things that I've written down that I still declare over my life. Things that I've written down that I declare over this church and over this body. Those words are to establish you. Minister Lee, how can you come to the keyboard? They are to establish you. And if you allow it, those things will bring an anointing in your life to cause the breakthrough, just like David. He had a moment when he had a choice. Everything was the complete opposite as what had been prophesied, as what had, had been set before him when he was young 10 years ago. 
I'm, I can't even imagine how tired he was, how weary, how exhausting. And, and even in his mind, he's probably thinking, how long is this going to go on? <laughs> Where else can I run at this point? But he chose to strengthen himself in the Lord, to thank God, to praise him, to worship him, to speak on the testimonies and the promises that God had given, the words that he'd already given. He strengthened himself. And then once he had strengthened himself, what did he do? He said, Abiathar, go get the ephod and bring it to me. And then he began to find his solution. Lord, said he inquired of the Lord, Lord, am I going to win this battle? And God said, yes, you're going to win it, and you're going to recover all. Everything that they took from small to great, you're going to recover. You're going to bring back. But he couldn't get to the solution part until he strengthened himself. He had to go through that process of thanksgiving and praise, remembering the prophetic words, coming into the holy place and finding the solution. And the thing is, there's only one person that can do it in every life, and that's you. Yes, there are times that God uses people to help strengthen, but there will be times when the Lord is going to ask you to depend upon him. And you've got to find within yourself. Like I said this morning, there have been times in my life when I learned about who God was and grew, grew closer to him in those alone moments, in those moments when it felt like I, even when I said something to someone, it just didn't even, like what they offered wasn't even comforting to me. It didn't help. And it wasn't that they weren't caring or compassionate or wanted to help me. It was just, they don't have the answer. They didn't know. We have questions sometimes that we don't know the answer and neither does anybody else around us. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why all of these things are, are falling the way that they are. And that's why I say that this is such an important message for the body of Christ. Because we have to be in a place where we know how to strengthen ourselves. And that means there's got to be a time of aloneness in your home, in your prayer closet, where, where these moments you're, you're declaring to God and you're choosing to speak these things out, whether it's in your car, you're driving along and, and you just begin to, to speak out thankfulness, speak out praise. Father, I thank you for who you are in my life and I thank you that you're going to see these things through. I have no idea, but I know that you're the author and the finisher of my faith and you're going to perfect this good work that you started in me. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through suffering and then having been perfected having been perfected that means complete and mature 
and obedience through suffering. Now, am I saying that God wants everybody to suffer? No, I'm not. But there is an enemy that we'll try to come against, and that's exactly what we're fighting against. But God will turn everything around for our good. That's the promise. You don't hang up and say, well, there's always an enemy. Man, the devil's just after me. The devil's just giving me a hard time. No, you don't stay there. You say, but God, but God is going to do amazing work. But God is moving everything for my good because I love him and I am called according to his word and to his, his calling, his purposes. That's the promise. That's the truth. You don't hang up in, in the middle. You get to the end, to the promise, to the truth of what God has given you. Go ahead and stand to your feet. In those moments, you will feel like it's it's against the very... <laughs> it's almost like trying to... to uh, jump hurdles in the beginning whenever you're 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 in that place of feeling so defeated and you feel like I've got to go jump this hurdle I've got to jump this hurdle of thanksgiving and praise and testimonies and, and prophetic where I got to jump this and I'm me I can't I can't hardly jump four inches off the ground so to jump a hurdle you know it's like I can't I'm gonna knock that thing over you know <laughs> that thing's gonna trip me up but that's what it feels like. That thing's going to trip me up. That thing's going to cause me to crash. I do not feel like going there. But the thing is, it's through faith. We do it in faith because this is the formula. Because it's all done in faith. It's all done in faith. You're declaring him. You're magnifying him. You're magnifying his promises. You're magnifying the words. You're magnifying who he is and not the situation. You're going to a higher realm. You're going to a different place. That higher realm is his realm. You're bringing kingdom principles to earth when you do that. 